Please be seated. Last week we looked at the first and the second appearances of the risen Jesus as recorded in John's Gospel. And today we're looking at the third that Helen has just read for us. I'll be dealing with the 14 verses that we've read today. And next week, part two of this sermon, Tony will be taking us through the remainder of the chapter. I love the word again. Jesus appeared again. I remember dear Rob Frost talking of a holiday that he deliberately chosen in remotest Highland Scotland. I'm sure it wasn't true, but this was how he recorded it. He said, they were lovely, hospitable folk, but it was like living in the past. And we're sat round a table, so we say, well, what do you mean? He said, well, we were sat there at breakfast, and this lady came and said, do you want milk on your porridge? Oh, yes, please. There's a can, there's a cow in the field. <laughs> Tea? Yes, please. Here's a billy can, the streams at the bottom of the field. Honey on your toast? No thanks. <laughs> and he said, it, living like it was 1650 is okay for a few hours, but the novelty soon wore off. Agains are important because they allow you to live in the present. Jesus comes again. How wonderful it is when we can remember the first time when Jesus came to us. When Jesus drew near, when we became aware of his love for us, when, when we offered our lives to him and the service of God's kingdom. And you can call it conversion or being born again or being saved or seeing the light. I don't care really. How equally important is it that there are agains when Jesus comes to us now? Because faith, Christian faith, is a living thing. It begins with a step of faith but it must result in a walk of life. Uh, when I worked at Cliff College, one of our Methodist training institutions, uh, we encouraged lots of testimonies. And uh, we perhaps ought to have more testimonies uh, here from time to time. Well, think about that. I confess, though, that I find some testimonies much more encouraging and interesting than others. Testimonies that begin... I met the Lord in 1976, and then six minutes later you think to yourself, yes, and nothing else has happened since 1976. Bore me a little. How much more vital when the person was able to stand up and say, last Thursday, and then tell you. I've been married 36 years. Yes, I know she deserves a medal. I've been told that since then we've changed shape clothes the food we eat the appliances we surround ourselves with in our house the cars we drive and the places we go on holiday each area of our lives has seen huge change and transformation 
except for so many of us, the realm of faith stays stuck in the past. Is it time that you received the risen Jesus again? Because I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus is longing to meet you again too. Back to the passage. Note in this passage where the disciples are. By the Sea of Galilee. What on earth are they doing up there? I'll tell you what they're doing up there. They've gone back. These disciples, many of them, not all those listed, once fishermen, were called by Jesus to be fishers of people. And they've gone back to trying to catch fish. They're like so many of us. We've been called to follow Christ. We profess to be his. We have a gospel to proclaim. We have a mission to fulfill. We have a savior we say we live for. And we keep looking over our shoulders. You sometimes hear it in the testimonies I talked about. I did this, I did that. Oh, I was a bad sinner. And then I became a Christian. At least that's the body language. Let me tell you that if you are called by the Lord and you flirt with going back to life how it used to be, you're doomed to disappointment. You'll be miserable with the things that once satisfied and interested you because you are not the same and when you try to return, those things will not be the same. Jesus effectively says, why are you trying to catch fish when I've called you to catch people? No wonder nothing is going to work in this story at this point. Sometimes we're tempted to give up on our discipleship of Jesus. Surely not, you say. Well, let me tell you that sociologists of religion tell you that in any congregation of people, there are between 15 and 20% who are growing in faith and who are very actively deepening their faith at the moment. There's a middle ground who are quite content with where they are and there's another 10 or 15% who are thinking, if this doesn't energize me, if this no longer reaches me, unless something happens, I can't see myself following this faith for the rest of my life. You might identify yourself with your group in this morning. The disciples, I think, were at the point of almost giving up on faith. We catch a sense of their lostness. That's why they're back at the Sea of Galilee. There's no other reason to go there. Remember last week when I said to you, work out or try to work out how something is said when there's a speech in the Gospels. How does Peter say in this story, I'm going to go fishing? I see him pacing up and down in a room, wherever they are. Reminds me of an old Hancock half hour when he can't think of anything to do on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, I'm going fishing. We'll go with you. 
Have you ever given your life to something and then subtly taken it back? Perhaps today Jesus is calling us to be obedient to what he's called us to be. And I wonder whether or not you can hear him saying to you, continue to follow me. So, Jesus, the ex-fisherman, tries to go back to life how it used to be. He is, after all, a master fisherman. So he puts the boat out, he travels to waters he knows well, he puts the nets down, and he catches absolutely nothing. All night, nothing. And about dawn... Across the water comes an unknown voice. Friends, that was the translation we had. If you look at the nuance of the Greek word, or rather how it was often used, it doesn't quite mean friends. What it means is uh, little ones, children, my little friends. So just imagine this kind of implied immaturity in the word. You haven't got any fish, have you? Now it's dawn, they've been out all night, just, you don't need a lot of imagination for this. How do the disciples say no? Well, no, actually, it's been a bit of a bad night. I don't think so. You've caught no fish, have you? No! Well, says the voice, If you put your net down on the other side, you will find some. It's astonishing that Peter does this. When you you think you know how to do something, when you've done it a thousand times, then somebody tells you how to do it. Listen here, sunshine. This is the Atkins version of the unwritten script. Listen here, sunshine, says... Peter to the as yet unknown voice at the side of the, of the sea. I don't know who you are, but I've been fishing these waters, man and boy, all my life. I know where the fish are. Now you just keep your opinions to yourself and push off. That would be more likely. But Peter does what the voice tells him, which in fishing terms doesn't really make a lot of sense because if you've ever seen those old Sunday school pictures of a small fishing boat, they've only got rigging over one side to pull the net in. Which is probably why, whether there's a whole host of fish in it or not, they have to drag it to the shore because there's no way of getting it on the boat. Now what's all this about? What's John telling us? That being obedient to Jesus is always fruitful. That our efforts will be fruitless without the Lord's presence. Even if we're experienced or talented at something. You see, Peter had to learn a lesson that morning. And it's a lesson that I think I have to learn quite often. You have to bring the things that you know best under the Lordship of Christ. It's very easy to offer to Christ those things that you can't do or that you're rubbish at. Do you know, the Lord can take my gift for dancing any time he likes. But offering 
a gift of preaching if you can preach. Well, what's, what's your thing that you need to give? What was it Charles Wesley wrote? It's on the board out there with the names of the venerable. My talents, gifts, and graces, Lord. Wait a minute. My talents, gifts, and graces, Lord. Not my rubbish. Into your blessed hands receive. Peter, the master fisherman, has to give to Christ what he feels he's mastered back to the master before it really will bring fruit. What have you got to give? So they put the nets over the wrong side of the boat and the catch is fantastic. The net's full to bursting. Might be Luke that tells us there's 173. And suddenly Peter realizes it's the light bulb moment in this passage. It's the moment of revelation. It's the Lord, says John, the disciple who Jesus loved. And Peter dives in the water and heads towards the voice. I want to pose a simple question to us this morning. Whenever in your life you realize it is the Lord, which direction do you travel in? Away from Jesus or towards him? Jonah, for example, runs away from God. The story of Jonah isn't so much about a whale or a big fish or whatever you want to describe it. It's more about the internal spiritual problems that Jonah has coming to grips with God's call and God's grace which are beyond what he thinks is reasonable. So he hears God's call. He knows it is the Lord. Go to Nineveh. And he boards a ship in the opposite direction and off he goes. Now, what about Peter? Peter who failed Jesus. Peter who denied Jesus three times. Was he still wracked with a deep sense of failure and betrayal? I think so. That's partly why he's here, lost, not sure what to do, back in his old haunts by the side of a lake that he left three years ago. So when he hears John say, it is the Lord, bless him, he runs towards or swims towards or crawls towards the voice. How hard it is to face someone you've wronged. Think for a moment of a person. I'm making the arrogant assumption that you all fall into this category, so please absent yourself if you're perfect. It's all right. Just think for a moment of a person you feel that you've disappointed. The person you said you would ring up and you didn't. You'd write to them and you didn't. I'll come and visit you, you said, and you didn't. So when they ring you or you see them coming down the road, which way do you want to go? 
Do you dive into the cafe or put your head down and walk past, pull your hood up? Go down the other aisle in the supermarket? So I want you to notice this. The fact that Peter heads towards Jesus in such a circumstance tells us more about Jesus than it does about Peter. It tells us that in spite of all his sense of guilt and failure, Peter knows deep down inside that Jesus is someone to whom you can turn again and again, no matter what the circumstance. Because Jesus is full of grace and compassion and understanding and forgiveness. So if we need grace and compassion and understanding and forgiveness, we should head towards the voice. In your life, when you become aware it's the Lord, what do you do? How does your spiritual body language react? Do we shrink back? Is our sense of failure a barrier? Or like Peter, do we realize the only way forward is to head towards the Lord? Remember another great line from a Charles Wesley hymn, and my heart it doth dance at the sound of his name. One of the characteristics of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances is his desire to feed people. The road to Emmaus is another example. It's then, just as they're about to eat, that those two dear Christians realize it is the risen Jesus. And here too, in this story of John, eating is going to be a symbol of restored fellowship. It's beside a charcoal fire that Peter has denied his Lord three times and exactly the same word is used in John's gospel for the fire that's now lit at the side of the lake. Where, if Tony does his stuff next week, he will tell you three times Peter's asked to restore a relationship with Jesus. Bring some of the, the fish you've just caught, says Jesus. Come, come and have breakfast. Last question in a sermon that's basically just posed some questions for us. Do you let Jesus feed you again? Or are you on some kind of spiritual hunger strike? Our children, when they were small, used to look at various things that we put before them and say the famous words that all youngsters have said from time to time, I aren't eating that. They then went on to eat us out of house and home, but that's another story. From what we know about Peter, though, he was quite stubborn. You won't wash my feet, he says to Jesus. And we know the end of that story. And then in the days leading up to the resurrection, Others may leave you and desert you, Lord, but I'll never leave you and desert you. So you can imagine him here when Jesus says, bring some of the fish you've just caught, sit down and have breakfast. Come and eat with me. 
You can almost hear Peter sort of saying, oh, Lord, it's all right. Feed the others first, Lord. I'm not very hungry this morning. If there's anything left, I'll have it in a while. Peter, sit down and eat. And it's almost as if he knows if he's going to have strength for the journey of pilgrimage from this point onwards. That he must receive all that the Lord offers him. Jesus has never let anyone go hungry who truly hungers after him and seeks strength to be obedient. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Oh, we've all seen the Holman Hunt pictures. We all know the passage. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So, brothers and sisters, on a day where the scripture asks us various questions about our discipleship, How long has it been since Jesus came again? Because it can be today. Have you given your life and then in subtle ways you're in the process of taking it back again? Have you gone back to living like it used to be and wondering why you're failing? Because he can do something about that. Have you brought under his lordship that thing that you feel most secure and competent about? Or do you hide yourself behind your gifts when in fact they need to be his gifts in you? When God does call you, how do you react? Do you turn towards him or away from him? Because whenever you turn towards him, he will receive you. Do you let Christ feed you with what you need? Or are you stubborn and on hunger strike? Let's keep silence for a moment, then offer a prayer. Risen Lord, plant your word deep within us and enable us to respond to you. Responding as our best selves and our deepest desires. For we know you will never turn us away. Amen. I remind you as we turn to our last hymn that there is prayer ministry for those who want to receive it. Please do not leave this room taking with you a burden or a concern or an opportunity to talk something through with somebody. That's not the point of an act of worship. The point is to lift things to God. And I invite you to do that before you leave this sanctuary if that's you this morning. We sing... Our final hymn, Behold the Servant of the Lord.